pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 231. Today I'm going to chat with Chris Barrett from Barrett Firearms, discuss the ATF's latest persecution of force reset triggers, highlight the new Quattro 15 from Desert Tech, and talk about a Florida man's catch while fishing. I'm your host, Ava Flanell, and Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, you're definitely doing much better than I am. I'm a little bit of a train wreck today. One thing I will say is if you guys are thinking about getting a new Mac laptop, keep in mind that the new Macs do not have USB inserts on the side, which is so ridiculous to me. You have to get like an adapter and I just tried the adapter and it didn't work. And then I had to switch computers. It was a little bit of a shuffle. We're a little behind. Chris, thankfully, you said you're not in a hurry, which I greatly appreciate because I'd feel really bad. But yeah, just keep that in mind. If you guys are looking to upgrade your Mac, um, maybe reconsider because it can be kind of a pain. Before we get into the show, talking about Smith & Wesson. Smith & Wesson just released their new volunteer series of rifles. It's named after their new home in Tennessee, the Volunteer State, which, Chris, you're in Tennessee, right? I am, yeah, indeed. Did you know that it was called the Volunteer State? My state or the rifle? I don't know. (laughs) The state, state, absolutely, yes. That's like, that's uh, kindergarten stuff here. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know this. They teach you that immediately. Yeah, the Volunteer State. Yeah, I didn't know this. So even when I was talking to Smith & Wesson at the range today, I'm like, the Volunteer, that's interesting. I'm like, are we, because you think like, oh, I'll just voluntarily give up my AR or, you know, you always think just, you know, with our mindset and like the whole like shall not comply and you know, like, oh, we got to hold on to the Second Amendment. And then you hear a rifle called the volunteer and you're like, wait a minute, that just doesn't make sense. But once they explained it, it made a little more sense. But the yeah, volunteer... We, we volunteer to fight. Like, we can't wait. Yeah, I know. <laughs> if there's a fight, we volunteer. Yeah, so. exactly. The volunteer rifles have a bunch of different options, including barrel length from 16 to 20 inches, several options for iron sights, including folding or fixed and optic ready or with a red dot. They also come with a popular B5 system stock and pistol grip, which I've noticed is starting to make its way on a lot of rifles lately. And to finish it off, either the BCM gunfighter with M-Lock forend or free flow aluminum M-Lock forends on the longer barrel versions. MSRP in these starts at $1,049, and they even have a California compliant version for those obviously in California. Check it out at smith-wesson.com. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. Okay, so Chris, I'm pretty sure your last name says it all. At this point, the Barrett name is one of the most well-known in the industry. But for any listeners who may not be familiar with the company, can you just kind of give us a quick rundown of what Barrett Firearms is? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, our company was founded in 1982 by my father, Ronnie Barrett, and he is um, the designer of what is kind of just known now as the Barrett 50. You know, the name Barrett has become synonymous with a big, huge rifle that hits things really far away. But in 1982, that was not the case. So uh, my dad founded the company in 82 with this crazy idea to have a 
shoulder fired 50 caliber rifle, which uh, the 50 BMG, which at the time, you know, was only fired through like a 75 pound crew served belt fed Brown and M2 machine gun. So people, when they even heard this idea, they thought it was just insane. And he did it, you know, through just creativity and ingenuity and getting things done at local machine shops. He got the first prototype built and, you know, the rest is history, as they say. So many, many, many years later, in fact, we are celebrating our 40th year this year. So uh, it took a minute. Uh, it took a minute, but that's how the company was started. One thing my editor wrote on here, because I think this is a freaking phenomenal. Your dad started off as a photographer and he conceived what would become the Barrett rifle while photographing a river patrol gunboat in Tennessee. He took an award-winning picture that made him think of a commercially available 50 cal rifle. And he sketched design without any manufacturing or engineering experience. When he approached machine shops, they told him that if his ideas were any good, someone smarter would have already made it after that, which is like crazy. And then I'm sure they're kicking themselves in the butt now. And then soon after that, he met Bob Mitchell and then they created this in like four months. Yeah. And it's, um, I just posted some early photos of dad on Instagram, like some 1981, 1982 photos. And, you know, the original thing is kind of, um, the silhouette and the outline, kind of the iconic shape is still there, but it's it's come a long, long way, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. So, and all of that is 100% correct. I don't know where she pulled that info or, or he or she pulled that info from, but that's right. And, you know, one of the misconceptions when people see the rifle now is they think, well, that was designed for military use, but it, it wasn't. Yeah. You know, it was the dream of a creative guy. And, you know, the boat photograph day is also actually factual and it's, um, that photograph hangs on the walls at Barrett Firearms. And it's we often kind of refer to it as the Genesis photo because he was there photographing that that gunboat for who would become his friend, um, Mr. Pony Maples or ER Maples. And he owned a gun company called Ramo that was out of Nashville building the M2 belt fed machine gun. Wow. And they also made all these mounts and kind of like up armor things at the time for they could be mounted on boats, vehicles, whatever. So if you wanted to mount a gun or other equipment to a vehicle, you went to this guy and they also made the M2 machine gun. So here was that as a photographer and a very creative person and already like a super, you know, I don't even think gun enthusiast is the right word for it. It's not strong enough. You know, it's, we were, we were steeped in this, never hunters or anything, but that was always a firearms historian and a great shot, like a competitive shooter. So we were just kind of like, I was raised that way. That was life. And he was already into, you know, back, back then, you know, we had, we were still manufacturing machine guns for civilians, you know, before pre 86. And so he had all of this cool stuff and like the 50 cal was on the list, but it was not feasible like this. Again, it's a 75 pound, you know, crew serve, maybe you need a tripod or a mount for it. So mm-hmm. here we are now, you know, carrying around a 30 pound 50 cal rifle, shooting up from the shoulder, hitting little targets relatively precisely for what the rifle can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely amazing. For those who may not know what your position is at Barrett, what is it? You know, it's kind of changed and evolved over the years. And it's just, uh, you know, if you, if you are, have ever lived a family business story, you kind of probably can identify with this, that over the years you wear many hats. And, you know, I graduated high school and immediately, you know, came to work full-time at the company, maybe after like one summer. I was already doing stuff as a kid, you know, like 
all kinds of uh, child labor stuff, you know, like mounting scopes, like hundreds of scopes or doing little assembly tasks or other things around the shop before I was actually an adult or even graduated high school. But I came to the company um, right after high school and, you know, worked in different positions around the shop, you know, whether it would be operating a CNC machine or just the the task of operating like a bandsaw or doing mm-hmm. deburr or sandblasting. And immediately, you know, found that no process was good enough for me. Like I always wanted to improve the process or improve the way the department ran or, or whatever. And I just started doing that. So I bounced around to a lot of different things at the shop. And it wasn't long before I realized I was like, guys, the way we are drawing, doing our technical drawings or managing our, what we now know as a technical data package. I was like, this is crazy. Like it was 96, 97, 98. And we were still 100% drafting board, you know, like paper, vellum, mm-hmm. like with a mechanical eraser and just like, this is, this is crazy because even from high school, I knew what AutoCAD was like simple 2d drawings. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't long before I, I got in and said, guys, we need to, you know, drop four grand. It was like $4,000 to buy this, you know, at the time, powerful PC and this software that was probably also near $4,000. It was pro engineer was the software I wanted to buy. So I kind of ushered that into the company and immediately, you know, took classes on that just to get up to speed on how to operate the software and started drawing my first rifle, which became a semi-automatic 338 or Pua Magnum that we called the Model 98. I never went into production, but it's like, if you Google it on the internet, you would think that it was, but um, it was a functioning 338 semi-automatic in 1998 that shot great groups and like kind of it shot equal to bolt actions at the time, but self-loaded. And I don't know. That was just like, that was the start for me. And then I went on to design the model 99, which actually became the kind of the basic architecture for the rest of the rifles we designed after dad's rifles that were primarily constructed out of sheet metal. Wow. Is that a good summary? Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I haven't taken a breath yet. And then eventually you became president, right? Yes. um, That was 2014 or 2015, something like that. And you know, just kind of, again, my natural progression of just working through things and um, the time, you know, timing is everything. And at the time, the president that we had, it was at retirement time for him. And it just, it seemed right at the time. And, you know, some things you don't know how it's going to work out when you start, but you just have to jump. And that's what I did. And that's what the company did. And I did that for five years. And there was definitely no designing <laughs> during that time. I mean, it was still some oversight of, creative things that were happening like for dad and I both, but that's, um, that's an entirely different world. Like when we get into the business side, it's different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's different. And I have advice for people that think they're going to do it. <laughs> What's that advice? Well, if you are in love and passionate with firearms, with like the actual technical side of things, and maybe even the people that you see at your trade shows or on your sales calls or whatever, you might need to find a person who is passionate about business and let them do that Mm -hmm. and let them do that for you, you know, and share and be generous with that person. And, um, that it's, it's a common entrepreneur problem. It's not just about the gun industry. It's just anyone who was ever a technician or an artist or anyone that was, that was good at what they're passionate about inevitably thinks I should own a business. Yeah. You know, you're a great, you're a great cook. You're a chef. You think I should own a restaurant. So you know nothing about owning a restaurant or 
or whatever, a manufacturing company or you name it. Mm-hmm. And it's just a common, it's a common thing. There's books written on it. Yeah. The e-myth, the entrepreneur myth. So I'm not saying that um, it wasn't rewarding. It was. We got a lot of things done and I accomplished a lot of things I'm proud of, but it was just, it was just such a different thing. Now I am interested in business. I mean, like business is a thing I've become passionate about, but being super creative and being very business-minded and capitalistic, like don't always go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you've heard it in stories of, you know, musicians or artists or whatever else, and it's, it's no different here. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I'm going to take a quick break real quick, talk about primary arms. Primary Arms has their new SLX 3X micro magnifier with the ACSS Pegasus ranging reticle available for pre-order. The brand new design works with any red dot from Primary Arms, EOTech, or others in prism sites. The magnifier works with standard mounts so that you can pick which one that you want for a flip mount. The built-in Pegasus ranging reticles gives you ranging ladder to range targets with, which is a first for a magnifier to have. The magnifier is only $169.99, which is pretty awesome for a magnifier like this. Check out these along with other Primary Arms optics at primaryarms.com. Remember, if you use the code AVA, that's A-V-A, you're going to get a free one-piece scope mount with every Primary Arms optic that you buy. What was it like working in a business with your family? Because I mean, you know, some people thrive in that atmosphere and then others are just like, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of, sometimes it's hard. It's hard to work with family members. Oh, it, it certainly has its challenges. I think if you, you know, can maintain a good relationship and try hard and everybody has a common goal in the end, you'll find out that the challenges were worth it for the highs, Mm -hmm. you know, there's definitely a different path for everybody. But I think if you have a family business and, you know, everybody's on the same page with what generally the goals are, yeah, it goes a long way. Mm -hmm. You know, now each person will have vastly different ideas on how you achieve those. So that's the thing that makes it challenging. But I think the key is like in a lot of relationships is just being humble enough to know where your strengths are and where you need to humbly listen and take advice. And that's why it's been, it's been great for me, like being able to recruit some of the people that I've brought onto the team because I got to basically hire my education or I got to, you know, select the people who are going to educate me, my mentors. Yeah. I really have. And and we've, we've just collected such a great team now that I've learned so much from, and that's why I've got interested in the business. So, you know, if you can, if you can remain humble enough to know, you know, where your contributions are, and, and that's a hard thing. It's a really hard thing for founders and, and people that are principals in a family business that really kind of have their entire identity really wrapped up in like who they are is the business. Mm-hmm. It's a tough thing to let go of some things and say, you know, like, this isn't what I love and it's not what I do, this portion of it. I've got to like defer to somebody else here. That's hard for some people to say to let go of, of the, the reins, but gosh, when they really do, I think they find joy, you know, they, they'll, they'll find out that they throb and it's, we've achieved that. I mean, I think that's certainly happened for us. Yeah, absolutely. I know growing up, my parents, they owned a gun store and a few other things. And my sister and I, we were always told by my parents, like, you know, one day you guys are going to have to take over the family business. And 
me growing up just really girly, not into guns. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go to school in New York City and I'm going to be like a CEO of a huge company. And, you know, I just had other plans for myself. And I'm not sure if my sister wanted to or not. But it's like funny how, you know, either you grow up thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Or you think to yourself, like, this isn't what I want to do. I don't want this life. And it can be tough because I think sometimes, you know, having a family business, especially one that's really successful, is a blessing in so many ways because you already have this kind of, you know, they've already done the hard work. And now you just, you know, continue to run the business and continue to keep it you know, like, like you said, like you added a lot of things like such as like the design technology and stuff. So you kind of add like a fresh perspective. And then there's other times where people are like, yeah, but this isn't what I want to do. Like if your passion isn't there, which is funny because now ultimately I ended up in the firearms industry after spending eight years in New York city, which also gave me a lot of experience. And I mean, at this point I joke that I'm like Jack of all trades, but figure You know, I have a degree in English and communications. I did legal and finance for the New York Yankees. And now I'm in the firearms industry, which has given me experience in all these other realms to, I think, you know, add to my success. I don't really do anything with the family business, although I'm still cheering them on. It's my sister that kind of took over. But it can be really difficult working with a family business, especially if like in my case, my dad's just very like egotistical and it's all about him and he's not really open to a lot of new things and, you know, so it could be tough. So I think it also depends on that as well. But at any point in your life where you just like, and maybe I don't want to do this, maybe I want to go off and work in, I don't know, the car industry or create your own business or something like that. Um, never to walk away from it, to mm-hmm. do other things. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think that's not a bad thing. Like it's, I used to think that uh, I said I said this at our last company meeting. I used to think that my greatest contributions were the designs I made, you know, the designs that I, I drove for the company, the things that I did there, and and those are huge. But I really think now, looking back on everything, it was really about the people that I brought together mm-hmm. and found a way to maintain because that's I, I don't know the value in that has been so huge. So that's allowed me now to kind of uh, do some other things. You know, I founded a retail store here in Tennessee also that's one location now, but it's huge. It's like, it's a huge retail facility with like 17 indoor shooting lanes and, wow. and lots of employees. And it's like, it's, it, as far as I know, it's the largest gun store by volume in the state of Tennessee, which is kind of saying something. And, you know, I was able to do that and then get involved in some other things and, you know, business is interesting. So, you know, I, I would tell people too, don't limit yourself to just like one pigeonholed interest or, or, you know, industry, like you can get into other things once you understand some basic business principles. So, Mm -hmm. but I feel like, I feel like we're talking too much about business. I think we're here to talk about guns. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I get it. I get it. Sounds like a business podcast. Yeah. Well, but you know what? It's one thing that I have realized is, you know, growing up with two entrepreneur parents who owned plenty of other businesses, I always grew up with that business mindset. And I just assumed that it was like common sense. And then as I got older, I realized how many people actually don't have that that's something that I've been very blessed with from my parents. Absolutely. Everybody's so, got an idea, but everyone doesn't know how to execute it. And that's yeah, the difference. Yeah. Which is, you know, I think is more important than sometimes the idea, unfortunately. It's true. Okay. So let's talk about when the military adopted the 50 cal rifle. What was it? Was it the 82 A1? 
Yeah, the, the technical name for the rifle is the Model 82A1. That's the semi-automatic 50 caliber that everyone you know identifies as the Barrett rifle. And it had been, you know, kind of unofficially around the U.S. military and officially with some other foreign governments that are that are allies for years already. And it actually it came into the U.S. military first through the Air Force. Mm-hmm. So the Air Force has an explosive ordnance disposal component to it, the EOD. And they began using the Barrett rifle first for a procedure they call smutting, which I can't remember what the acronym for that means, but you stand off a safe distance from unexploded ordnance and you shoot it with this big projectile until it's damaged. So it doesn't explode, it's just damaged and it can't, you know, it can't go off on a high order detonation. So Hmm. it came into the uh, U.S. military like that first, which is why that is significant is to get a rifle into the U.S. military as a quote unquote weapon, a weapon system is very difficult and it takes years. So Anything in the U.S. military's history that ever has an M in front of it, so everybody that's listening is going to know an M9 pistol or an M4 carbine or an M16 or an M1 Grand, uh, M249 squad automatic weapon. Everybody's going to know those things. They got their M the hard way. Like So the M is a model designation for a U.S. adopted system that came in through the Army or Air Force. So... You know, that's a big deal. Like, it's it's not easy. So the Air Force bought these things first as an EOD tool, not as a weapon. And that's why it was kind of like a shortcut to procurement. It's like, yeah, we're not buying a weapon system. We're just getting this tool. It's kind of like akin to a hammer, you know, or a whatever, you know, mm-hmm. a face shield that we use or something else. It's just a tool. And then not long after that, you know, the way it's been told to me is Army Rangers started seeing these things. And I'm like, what, what is that? Like, we, we want that. <laughs> but we want to do something else with it, not you know, not disable bombs, not disable explosives. So it kind of like got in that way. And it wasn't, it wasn't until many years later, and you may have access to the timeline, I don't I think maybe it's 2007, that the Army finally said, okay, officially, and this is a many years process, it's a grueling process to get a weapon system adopted. They finally said, okay, we are adopting this thing. It is our long-range sniper rifle. We're going to call it M107. So that that's how the rifle became the M107 wow. from the Model 82A1 with all of their requested, you know, like the specific modifications they wanted to the commercial system, which honestly, they kind of copied Norway, uh, if I'm thinking correctly. Like Norway was really, gosh, they, they've been a heavy user of Barrett products for a long time. They kind of made the M107 that the U.S. Army ended up buying what it is. Like they, they're the ones that said, hey, we want a full length scope rail with this much angle on it and these things. And we want to do this. And we want the bypass to have spikes on the bottom. And so by the time the Army got around to officially adopting the system, they said, hey, what's your what's your latest and greatest? And we're like, oh, this, you know, because we just got done, you know, doing all of this for Norway. And this is what they wanted. And they're like, oh, it looks pretty good. <laughs> you know, we'll take that, put U.S. Army on the side of it. So it's, it's funny how those things happen. But. All, you know, thousands of rounds and thousands of hours of testing and acceptance later, it gets the official M107 designation. Yeah. I had no idea the M meant what it meant. I didn't even really think about mm-hmm. it. So any anything that comes in, you know, the Beretta pistol that we used for so many years mm-hmm. was a Beretta Model 92 or 92 FS. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it got entered in trials and, you know, it passed all the trials and Army said, you are now we christen you M9. You're M9 now. 
your M4, your, you know, all these things. So yeah, that's a big deal. And it's not to be, it's, it's like an honor, you know, in our world. Like if that, if you get to that point, it's a huge thing. Yeah. Huh. Well, let's talk about some of the models that you guys have out now and what are some mm-hmm. of the differences? So, you know, the 50 cal line itself is still comprised of that semi-automatic uh, that we still call the model 82A1 as a commercial variant. Uh, and then there's the M107, which the U.S. Army uses. And then there's the M107A1, which, you know, we kind of, we took a little liberty with that. If the Army ever upgrades theirs, they will call it an A1. Mm-hmm. They do that with other things, M16A1, M16A2, A3, A4. A lot of people will be familiar with those variants. So every time they do an alteration, they call it an alteration. You know, the U.S. Army has not adopted our M107A1, but we just started calling that because it was like, it's the M107 improved. Like, so we have a version now that is, we feel, well, we don't feel it just is. It's kind of beyond what the U.S. Army is using right now and is being adopted all over the world. So we're still like dedicated to the semi-automatic 50 caliber, you know, long range rifle. Mm-hmm. We have the uh, Model 95 rifle, which was the second rifle design that my dad did, like the second, you know, family of rifles. It is a bolt action repeating rifle. So it's a bolt action bullpup configuration. So it's very short, very light, mm-hmm. five round repeater with a magazine, and detachable box mag. And it's kind of, it's constructed in the same fashion or the same architecture of the 82 series. It's sheet metal fabrications, stampings, folding that is welded and then and fabricated into the shape that makes the, you know, the chassis of the rifle. So it kind of like, they look like they're queer family members, right? Um, when I came around, I started, I was like, okay, sheet metal is hard to work with. Welding is an art, you know, like hand welding. And we still do that every single day and it's beautiful. But like we have all these CNC machines now we can utilize large aluminum billets or large aluminum extrusions, 100% CNC machine things, and come up with uh, the basic chassis of the systems with no welding and no fabrication. Mm-hmm. So the Model 99, which is a single shot 50 cal bolt action rifle, that was the first design of mine that became an actual commercial product. And it that architecture became, you know, what we use now that's kind of like when we get into the 98b and the mrad and the mark 22 it kind of all comes from that basic form of you know a a monolithic aluminum receiver with these precision components attached into it or or integrated into it so the model so we have now we got the semi-automatic 82 a1 series and m107 family the model 95 which is a bolt action repeater and then the model 99 which is a single shot 50 caliber long range rifle, very, very accurate and precise, but simple. Mm -hmm. Then we kind of go down from there. Our big thing now, the big news at Barrett, like all the buzz is MRAD slash Mark 22 family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, cut me off if I need to stop on any of this because it's. No, I'm following. I'm I'm on the website right now and I'm following all the, and I'm just like, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I'm still like focused on the Model 95 because I'm like, that is so weird. Like how, you know, the magazine's like behind it. So it's like the the magazine. And you can fed. tell it's like, it, it's a, you know, it's borrowed parts and yeah. design from the 82 series. It's, yeah. it's really cool. Like, yeah. It's just, again, how how creative dad was and the ingenuity to say, well, hey, here's what I'm, here's the palette I'm working with. You know, how do I 
make a, a bolt action uh-huh. that's yeah. very light and short. And like he used wisely used common parts and components from the 82 series. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really cool what yeah. he did with that and did it very quickly. Too. Yeah. And then you have the MRAD, which is just like a freaking beautiful like piece of art. So the MRAD story is kind of like the rest of the story of the, the conclusion of what I was talking to about military adoption. It's it's like it it brings the Barrett story really full circle and why we're so proud to do what we've done and why we got what we are. All of the process I said how difficult it is and how rare it is to have a product adopted by the US military, we now have two. So, you know, the ninety eight B was a variation of the original ninety eight rifle I started working on years ago, like right out of high school. And we determined at that time that, hey, we need a a bolt action 338 rifle. So I was borrowing off the architecture from the Model 99, which is a monolithic receiver component made of aluminum with a very heavy barrel. Uh, the Model 99 was actually pressed into the receiver and the 98B was as well. So I borrowed a lot of stuff from that and developed the 98B rifle. And I remember telling dad at the time, and this is one of those statements that everybody now remembers like you could have written it down at the time but like everybody now it's great when you predicted something a long time ago when it came true i told dad i said this will be what all precision rifles look like in the future i was like after this like i just knew it because at the time all precision bolt action sniper rifles uh like kind of tactical rifles if you will at the time Mm -hmm. were essentially deer rifles like sporting hunting bolt action rifles that had their barrel removed and a heavy barrel put on them and like the action trued or blueprinted. And then the action with a barrel would be bedded into, um, you know, like a heavier stock, like a fiberglass stock and, and bedded into that and, you know, had bipods applied and a big scope. And that became a tactical rifle. Mm-hmm. Like that's what they all looked like at the time. And I knew after we did this, I said, dad, this is like, this is it. Like, yeah. There's there's no other there's no reason to make a rifle that old way anymore. This thing is fully modular. You know the components can be changed by the user. The barrels can be swapped relatively easy, and it's like combat reliable. Like it's designed for dirt and mm-hmm. drops, and it's not a deer rifle that was pressed into service as a you know heavy bolt action sniper rifle. It was purpose designed for that from the beginning. So the 98B went on sale commercially. And we sold a lot of those, mostly in caliber 338. And then later it became some other calibers. But then when the the Army years ago came out with a program called Precision Sniper Rifle, PSR, and we started modifying the 98B into what they needed. You know, they needed it. They wanted caliber change capability. So we, we came up with ways to do that. And they wanted a folding stock. And we came up with ways to do that. And we checked all the boxes for PSR. And this is... Like I'm making this a super short story because this took forever and we exceeded like every, not only their threshold requirements, but their objective requirements, which are like their shoot for the stars. Like we want, it has to at least do this, but we wanted to do this. We aimed, you know, beyond that. And we hit beyond that in most, most cases, like on every, on every aspect of it. So that rifle became the MRAD, the multi-role adaptive design that we submitted for PSR and really long story short. Our rifles, like because of a technical mishap in the procurement process, which was our technical submission of paperwork arriving through their computer server like 30 minutes late, our rifles were never considered in the procurement. So 
like the people making the decisions never got to evaluate the rifles. It was a sad day at Barrett. Like people, like grown people were literally crying. Wow. Because we were, we were shooting for the moon, right? We're yeah. going to have another rifle adopted by the U S military and get a designation, like another M like you would be lucky, you know, you'd be fortunate, blessed, lucky to ever have one in your yeah. lifetime, but to have two is just, it's just crazy. It's unheard of. So it didn't happen. And people were heartbroken. The people who did get awarded the contract at the time who have now gone in and out of business and they were never able to de- deliver the rifles that met, met the specification, never, never happened. So all these years go by and it comes back around, but this time through SOCOM, our special operations command, mm-hmm. and which is a part of the Navy. And they started the program back up, essentially like revived that, but it was called ASR now. It's advanced sniper rifle, not precision sniper rifle. We go to win. Like we enter to win, period. Like there was no question in our mind. We built the best rifle. We had some competitors out there. We competed and we won. So our MRAD became US SOCOM's ASR. And when something comes into the Navy, I told you when it comes into the Army, it gets an M, M9, M4, M16. When it comes into the Navy or SOCOM, it gets a mark. So like Mark 19 grenade launcher. Mark 18, I think, is the little short 556. So the MRAD became the Mark 22. So then that just happened this last year. So that's like, you know, this is, I don't know how long we've been talking, but that's kind of the culmination of the entire Barrett story from my dad, a photographer, having an idea for a rifle that ends up becoming the M107. And then I come to the company and start designing rifles, and the rifle I design becomes the Mark 22. It's just, I, I have Amazing. to pinch myself, yeah. you know, because it's like, this doesn't happen. It doesn't yeah. happen once and it never happens twice and it's never happened to a father and son. So it's just, yeah, I, it's I amazing. can't believe it. Yeah. How did you come up with the name, the MK 22? So we didn't, you know, again, that's the, that's the Navy. Like, oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know the inside workings. Like how, why was the M9 pistol and M9? Why was the M16? Yeah. Was it the 16th? You know, try at a combat rifle. I have no idea. I don't know why the M107 is the M107, honestly. And maybe maybe one of your listeners can email you or on that or something. Like somebody that's been in procurement, I'm sure there's an answer. Yeah. But I don't know. But I think it sounds cool, Mark 22. <laughs> so. Right. I know. Well, because you automatically, in, anything that has a 22 in the name of a firearm, you're like, oh, 22. Oh, look, Baird's making a 22 now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope people, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's good. Yeah. They'll be surprised when they see it. I know. It's, it really is the world's like, you know, it is the world's most advanced rifle that's ever been put into this role and is highly adaptable. You know, our, our acronym, our cute little double meaning acronym for the MRAD was multi-role adaptive design. And, you know, long range shooters will recognize MRAD as a unit of measurement, like a milliradian that they use to make adjustments on their, their mm-hmm. scope for elevation. Mm-hmm. But we said, you know, Hey, that's a good acronym for multi-role adaptive design. And it like, you know, military and tactical people love acronyms. Like yeah. we, we love them. We like the name, but this one is like, it actually worked. And we thought that's not cheesy. And it's, it's actually descriptive and fits. And I, I got to give credit to a guy named Kyle Lynch, who was a, a U.S. Army Ranger who used to be at Barrett and was instrumental in this program. He came up with that acronym. And like, when we heard it, right, man, you just nailed it. That's what this rifle is. Mm-hmm. You can change the barrel for different calibers. If you want a folding stock, you can have it. If you don't, you're 30 seconds away from changing the lower to one that doesn't have it. 
you know, if you want the trigger group to come out and put an entirely, you know, change from a single stage to a two stage trigger group, done. You can do it in 30 seconds with no tools. It literally is a multi-role adaptive design. And that's why SOCOM went for it. And one of the reasons it's like unfailingly precise and accurate. It works in all conditions. And, I, and I'll tell you what, like between them and Norway and and a, and a bunch of other countries building that rifle and putting through torture tests, I can confidently say that. Yeah. It's, um, I love it. I'm very proud of it. What is MSRP on these guys now? I know. Well, I'm even getting goosebumps. I'm like excited for you. Thank you. What is MSRP on these things now? Because I just remember, so I actually did shoot a 50 cal pretty early on in my firearm career. My dad obviously had some, my uncle and my uncle, actually, he bought it for the sole reason because he's like, it's a good investment. It's going to go up. And maybe at the time, maybe he spent seven to 10,000 mm-hmm. and it's gone up significantly yeah. since then, depending uh, on what model. So right. And I mean, gosh, especially so a, a 20, 20 prices. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Post Joe, post Joe Biden prices. Like, yeah. You know, like, I'm like, now it's uh, gone up a lot. Yeah. You know, the 50 cows range kind of, gosh, I hope I don't mess anything up here, but, you know, they're kind of in the fours, starting with the single shot in the 4,000s mm-hmm. and getting, moving into the semi-automatic, you know, it's kind of starting in the eights, like low eight or right around 8,000 up to 12,000 for the latest, like, you know, super duper M107A1, titanium, everything, Cerakote, everything. It's mm-hmm. just, so eight to 12 on the semi and then in the bolt action MRAD family, which MRAD has now become like a family that encompasses everything in that shape. Like it's, there is no more 98 B. We don't call it 98 B anymore. It's now an MRAD SMR, mm-hmm. which is the more, uh, less, mo- slightly less modular, modular version of MRAD, which I actually like it the most because it's light and simple. So the MRAD family runs from in the fours up to the sixes, you know, hmm. based on, depending on what you have. And I know that sounds expensive for people that have been primarily in the handgun and carbine world. Mm-hmm. But when you get into the realm of like real precision rifles, mm-hmm. like really solid, repeatable, dependable precision rifles, it is you don't not uncommon at all for, for someone to, yeah, $4,000 on a full custom. Yeah. People do that all day. Yeah. And what I have to convince people of now that have been like custom rifle fans is you cannot get and a custom rifle, what we have engineered here. Like it's like when, here's what I mean by that. When you buy a custom rifle, you know how many of those there are in the world? There's one, there's one like that. That's exactly like that. That stock you picked and that barrel and that whatever, mm-hmm. there's only one of those, you know, has that thing been tested to 10,000 rounds? No, it hasn't. You know, has it been tested in all of these temperature extremes, sand, dirt, dust, snow, water? No, it just hasn't. And you can't. Like you can't do that for every one-off custom. It would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. But the MRAD system, the Barrett uh, 50 cal systems, like that's really what you're getting. Like at a $4,000 price point starting, it's like you're getting a rifle that's engineered. It's been dropped from six feet on concrete from every angle, things that you would never do, like with and without a scope. Like we know what breaks and we know what fails when we fix it. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. you, you just can't get that from a one-off custom. It's not possible. I'm actually, I just looked on Gunbroker to see what they're going for right now. 
because I'm like, well, MSRP, but what's street price? You know, because now we're in a time where I know you guys can't make them quick enough. And yeah, so the M99 is 4300 And then let's see, I saw some for like 13000 Oh, wow. But yeah, let's see. Let me go back and let you know. I'll tell you what model that was. It's the 107A1. Yeah, that's and, about right. It's in the 12s. Yeah. Cause that's the thing, man. I need one for my gun collection. That's the one thing that I'm like, I mean, everybody needs a 50 cal. It's like those things that you just need for your collection. You're like, and people are like, well, what do you, what are you going to use it for? And I'm like, does it matter? What does it matter? Like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put it in the centerpiece of my gun room. So I'm actually, when I get my house built, I'm really excited. Cause this morning I was on the phone with the home builders. And so in the entire basement, which is huge, in the landing, I'm going to put the lockdown vault door. There's a vault mm. door that you have to go through to get in. Lockdown is going to put all of their gun walls all throughout the entire basement. So I'll have, you know, all my guns displayed. And then there's obviously going to be advanced security and stuff so that people can't break in. And then I need like a centerpiece right in the middle, like, bam, you know? Right. That's exactly what it's for. When your it's friends the centerpiece. Over, you, can point to, yeah. you can point to it and say... You can point to it and say you got one of those. Yeah, right. Exactly. What is the name of this company that's going to do the, you say it's Lockdown? Yeah, Lockdown Secure. And they're actually making these vault doors, which are kind of like the doors that you would see on gun safes. And you can either, it's like biometric, you can put in a code, you can do the spinny thing. And it's essentially like your entire room. You're making a gun room, which is what I have now is I gave up on the safes because every time I buy a gun safe in six months, I outgrow it. All right. We're just going to make a gun room. And that's yeah. what I'm doing. But this one's going to be even bigger. And so it's nice because, you know, people can't just get in. They can't break in through the door or whatever. I mean, it's a very like solid piece. If you want, I'll put you in touch with them if you're looking for one. But it's really cool. And then obviously, I was just looking on their website. I didn't know what they did for. I'm like looking at their organization stuff. I use, um, I've got a lot of that Gallo Tech stuff, and my entire retail store is done in that. I see they have a product that's it's kind of similar to Gallo Tech. I actually looked at Gallo Tech because right now I have the what is it, the tactical walls, and I'm not happy with that at all. It's such a pain to arrange things, and every time I get a new gun, and then I have to arrange it, and it's like it just to get it on and off and arrange things, it's just, it's not very user-friendly. And then I have to order more, but they only go into the studs and it's, I don't know. So at least this, you can, it does go into the studs, but you don't have to put it in exactly the space that needs to go. Like you can arrange it where the panel is. If you want to slide the panel all the way towards the, you know, corner of your wall, you can still do that. Whereas like with tactical walls, the place where the stud went, it was like had to be directly in the middle, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think I understand. So there's a, there's going to be mounting hardware somewhere breaking up mm -hmm. the wall, yeah. breaking up the, the panel. So yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. So it's going to be really cool. I can't wait. And also they have the ability to put like your logo on these panels. So I'll probably get like the, mm. you know, Ava Flannel logo or I don't know something. And then they could do like graffiti too. Mm. It's going to look really good when it's done. I'm really excited. All right. On that note, I'm going to take another quick break. Talk about IWI. Mm. 
I don't know if you're familiar with IWI products. They make lots of bullpup guns, but they also make a really cool pistol called the Masada. And it's one of the most comfortable factory pistols around, in my opinion, has a ton of great features. It's fully ambidextrous, comes with three palm swells to fit your hand. It comes optic ready, which is one of the first guns that came optic ready. It includes four plate adapters for the most common red dots. It's available black, FDE, ODG, and they come with two 17-round mags or 10 if you're in restrictive states. Best part about it, though, is MSRP is only 480 which is pretty freaking awesome for an optic-ready pistol. And like I said, they were one of the few that came out with the optic-ready pistol. And unlike all the other guns on the market, they were really affordable and it shoots great. If you want to check that out, head on over to IWI.us. Don't forget to include the coupon code gunfunny15, all one word, that's going to get you 15% off any of the accessories that you see in their web store. Let's talk about the other guns that you guys have come out with. So like the Rec 7 and the Rec 10. Mm -hmm. You guys are kind of branching off to the AR platform. Yeah, we did. We started that in um, actually 2004, believe it or not. We've just never been a commercial force in that. And, you know, it's a crowded field. Yeah. And so you know, because of that, they're somewhat commoditized. It's hard to make a mark. It's hard to be very different and a basic AR platform. But mm-hmm. we got into that again at a US SOCOM request back in 04. They were looking at uh, cartridges that had more energy, higher terminal effects than the 556. And coming out of the Army Marksmanship Unit was this cartridge called 6.8 SPC, which is a 270 caliber projectile, 0.277 but a slightly larger case and, you know, had like really comparable to AK ballistics or AK uh, energy output from the 30 cal AK round, the 7.62 by 39, but way better, like way more accurate, higher VC bullets in the AR platform. We kind of got involved in it there, building a rifle that we called M468, which is a direct impingement rifle. It wasn't long before I, it came up with a piston-operated design for that that I, I really like. Called uh, we called it Rec Seven, like reliability enhanced carbine, and you know it is just it is still my favorite. And I, and I'm, I say this like without bias. It's just I think it's one of the best ARs on the market. There is they're very precise. You know the barrels are made on the exact same machines that make MRAD barrels. Like it's just it's a great rifle, but it's not you know a bargain rifle. And we all know that you can buy an AR for. 399 bucks or have been able to mm-hmm. there's a difference you know there's a there's a big difference a lot of people can't see it and aren't willing to pay for it but there is a big difference for people that know and what is msrp on these <sighs> why are you asking me all these money questions so rude well you know because <laughs> I, <don't> know. <laughs> I know the listeners are going to be like all right cool i mean i actually you didn't know. know that you guys made ars and now i'm like i feel like an idiot because you're like yeah since 2004 and i'm like oh okay yeah. <laughs> but you know maybe other people don't know and they're like hey i want to get a barrett like okay i think they're like the the piston operated rifles are at the two thousand dollar point and i want to say the di rifles we, we do have a lot of direct invention rifles also now they're a little bit under two thousand okay is where they start but you know then like another thing so this you know procurement of a rifle by the U.S. military never happens to you. It never happens twice. The Rec 10, which is our 308 size platform, it has actually been adopted by another major government. It's an ally of the United States. It's not the the United States, but it's like, 
so buried rifles like in a, a, a fun fact that people you know might not know but every one of our products every one of our rifle products is adopted by some military even the model 99 like i think holland uses the model 99 single shot 50 That's for crazy. some special purpose like it's it's the model 95 is used by multiple countries spain is one i think J- japan's defense force has them and several others too the 82a1 the m107 series all over the world the mrad is being filled in all over the world so it's just that's what barrett does and i think that's what people an interesting thing about the story like when we go back to what i was telling about dad the original rifle was never for a military purpose like Mm -hmm. people laughed at him like we don't nobody needs that right that's not there's no requirement there's no official requirement in the u.s for that for anybody nobody needs that to go from that to a company that makes products where every single family has been adopted by some professional end user. I think it says a lot about yeah. our dedication to what we're doing. So Barrett now, all these years later, has been able to work with all of these, you know, the bravest, smartest warfighters, defenders in the world. And that, that's one of the most rewarding things about doing what we do mm-hmm. and recognizing who our customers are. And, you know, it's it's really those people. But, you know, if you know anything about the Barrett story and who we are, you know how dedicated we are also to our Second Amendment here mm-hmm. and to, to our ability, our right, our inalienable right to own these firearms. So we all benefit from that. You know, so all of this, this torture testing and things that we will never do to a firearm that Barrett has done with our professional end users, with people that have filled the rifle, you know, anybody or when you buy your rifle to put it as the centerpiece in your gun room, like you're going to benefit from that. Like mm-hmm. you have this amazing system. And that's the difference between like a product that's developed for the commercial market first, like solely for the commercial market versus something that's had an official military fielding by yeah. a major government. It's you get a lot, you yeah. get a lot of value there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a good investment. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. Do you guys have any future plans that you could share with us? Um. So Barrett, over the last few years, we have decided to become very focused on what we do and our motto is the leader in long range like that's what it says on our shot show booth so we've become very focused on being the leader in long range we are going to hit ridiculously small targets at ridiculous ranges that that's what we're going to continue to do and you know we're really focusing all of our efforts and our product line to that goal nice the first time i actually shot a 50 cal well, maybe this wasn't the first time. Maybe it was the second time. But my dad had it out and he was shooting it and I was recording some YouTube videos. And then I was like, hey, dad, can I shoot that? And I was recording like a YouTube video for Easter because Easter was coming up. And so I put a an egg, like a little one of those little plastic Easter eggs. <laughs> And he's like, you're yeah. not gonna, he's like, what are you doing? You're not going to be able to shoot that. And thank God the optic was decent. It wasn't even a great optic, but thank God, like it was like zeroed in. And I was like, well, I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'll just try. And sure enough, I hit it. <laughs> and he was yeah. like, wow, I don't believe it. Oh, you know, maybe it was luck. I don't know. Actually, I'm a very good trigger puller. Yeah. Like from day one, I was always a very accurate shooter. But that's what I remember. You know, my best memory with a 50 cal with the Barrett. But I love so that. I think it's different from a person like you who's, who's actually shot it versus a person who has only looked at it on paper. Yeah. The you know practical accuracy is a whole different thing from opening up a magazine or a web review 
and seeing like a group size. Oh, totally. Like, it's just a whole different thing. Yeah. And the ability to hit little targets, you know, it, you just have to do it to understand. So that the Barrett eighty two A one and one hundred seven system, like I don't think it's generally regarded as being a rifle that shoots microscopic groups. It's not. But talk to people who have used it in combat, in the field, in training. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you know, there was um this target out there at twelve hundred meters. And I did the math right and I pulled the trigger and I hit it mm-hmm. or I hit it on the third shot or whatever. And yeah. it's like, so the rifle does what it's supposed to do in the field. And that's why you can't really like just internet shop anything, whether it's a handgun or a precision rifle. You sometimes you have to use these things. Yeah. And, you know, proven systems will do what they've proven to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. For people who want to find you on the interwebs as well as follow you on social media, where are you located? Uh, Barrett is at Barrett.net. So all the Barrett products are there. I'm on Instagram at Chris G Barrett. And yeah, so Chris G Barrett on Instagram. I don't play with the other ones. I've got a retail store called The Outpost Armory, which is the same on Instagram at The Outpost Armory, which is a a fun site and a fun place to visit if you're in Tennessee. So I'm definitely going to visit. That's where I am going to make it. So cool. I'm coming to Tennessee. Wait, so you said it was called the out the outpost? The outpost armory. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna follow and that's, you. Uh, I believe that's our website and that's our that's our ad handle on Instagram. We also have one at the Outpost Armory range. So we kind of we started a different page there just to focus on new things that are happening, training programs, fun shoots that we have inside the range, events. It's a little different from the the retail side of things. I see a picture. I see a picture of the actual belt. It's huge. Yeah, it, it really is. It's like, uh, I don't, I cannot remember how many square feet it is. It's big. It's big, but there's 17 indoor lanes. And a thing that most people will never see is three indoor 100 meter ranges with an electronic target system. Yeah. So, you know, that's like, you know, you go to a lot of indoor ranges and there's going to be a pistol bay, maybe it's 25 yards, mm-hmm. but to have the ability to zero your carbine, hunting rifle, whatever, precision rifle at 100 meters mm-hmm. on an electronic target system. It's like, you do not see that often. I don't know if there's another commercial range in Tennessee that has that, Yeah, but we have three lanes and people can come in and we have, a, we do a 50 cal experience. So there's so many people, like one of the number one things I hear from people all the time when I meet them in person, it's like, well, Hey, if I, you know, can I come to the factory and shoot a 50? It's like, no, like we, we can't do that for, for a multitude of reasons. But yeah. But at the outpost, like you can go down there and shoot the latest M107A1 suppressed and you can come in with your friends and shoot it and get photos and like wow. check that off your list. Yeah, because that's actually, that's something that I think you and I take for granted is being raised around guns and, you know, and then having the ability to shoot a lot of these guns that like, I mean, my first shooting experience and my mom taught me how to shoot a nine. And I think it was like a Glock or something looking at the video because the video is really blurry and this was in 2000. 13 2012 actually no 2012 and then shortly after my dad brings out a machine gun he's like all right well cool now that you honed in on that like let's shoot the machine gun and that was my second experience (laughs) which most people don't get that opportunity they've never shot a 50 cal they've never shot machine guns you know i mean even the people in restrictive states have never even shot some of the guns that even most of us take for granted just like an ar-15 or something yeah yeah. Yeah, we, we really do. It's the number one asked for thing at the store before we had a range. Like, where can I shoot this? And, yeah. And 
I do take that for granted. The childhood stuff is fun. And I wish I had some photos to share with you. I've got them somewhere, but like, you know, I was eight years old, like woodland camouflage BDUs head to toe with white Nike high tops. Hmm. And I'm like at Knob Creek, you know, like ripping a hole to and around belt out of an M60. And I'm oh, like, wow. eight. like I'm like way too young to be doing these things. Yeah. Or shoot my dad's little tiny M16, little shorty, like a 10 and a half inch gun when I was just a little kid. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just, I grew up doing that stuff. And, and I know you did too. And you talk about being a good shot and which is really just a matter on anything of keeping that firearm entirely still yeah. while you press the trigger. That's yeah. just all it comes down to. Uh-huh. Like a proper side of alignment and sight picture is there's no mystery to any of this stuff. It's not a really super high art. Anybody can do it. Well, not everybody can do it, but it really helps if you start when you're like four. <laughs> so yeah. just like playing the piano or guitar or whatever. Yeah. All right. So moving forward, guys, definitely go follow Chris on Instagram. Look at the website. It was Barrett.net, you said? Yes, Barrett.net. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Moving forward, Caldwell. If you're wanting to add some steel to your range, Caldwell has some of the most affordable targets around while still extremely durable. Their AR-500 targets are available in a bunch of sizes, shapes. Five-inch plates are as low as $19.99. 8-inch ones for $37.99. Full-size IPSC targets are $210. All of them are rated for up to 3,000 feet per second impact velocity with 3,500 foot-pounds of energy. So, They're definitely made to take on quite a bit of punishment. Check those out at caldwellshooting.com. And if it's your first order, don't forget to use the code GUNFUNNY10. That's going to get you 10% off. Today in politics. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's political AF. I don't know if you've had a chance to hear about this, but Gun Owners of America released an internal email that leaked from the ATF last week concerning ATF leaders directing field offices to prepare for the next phase of their persecution of forced reset triggers. If you're not familiar with it, forced reset triggers basically work similar to bump fire stocks and allow you to simulate full auto, like full auto fire. I put out a video with the watt trigger from BDU. By legal definition, They are perfectly legal, but just like they did with bump stocks, the ATF is trying to make them illegal by declaring them to be illegal machine guns, even though they do not operate the way that machine gun is defined in law. They cannot prove that they are machine guns, but they have declared them to be, and the email obtained by GOA shows that they have sent out directives for their field offices to start going to manufacturers, distributors, and retailers that are in possession of rare breed and wide open triggers. The email directs, And this is, quote, please be prepared to take possession of any documents and FRTs, which is from Rare Breed. The manufacturer, distributor, or retail offers to surrender. They may choose to abandon the items, in which case ask them to complete a forfeiture of property notice. Then they go on to direct agents, quote, if the manufacturer or seller refuses to abandon the items, please take custody of the items and seize them for forfeiture so that they can be properly noticed. Additionally, FMS will be collecting the FRTs recovered and the number of defendants found in possession of these devices. 
basically referring to anyone who possesses one as defendants clearly means that they are planning on treating everyone who has one as being in violation of the NFA and possession of an illegal machine gun. If convicted, that means 10 years in prison and a $250,000 fine for legally purchased property that by clear definition of law and the ATF's own definition is not a machine gun. Rare Breed is currently suing the ATF for their actions in declaring the forced reset triggers to be illegal machine guns in clear violation of actual written law. What the email states is that in spite of these triggers being legal under the law, they're going to send armed Asians to come take them and call you a felon because they don't want you to have it. As I've talked about before, this is extremely dangerous. Whether you guys agree with the force reset trigger or the bump stocks or anything like that, it's dangerous because if they get away with it, they can declare whatever they want to be a machine gun. Biden has stated before that he wants all, quote, assault rifles to be NFA items. If the ATF is allowed to get away with arbitrarily declaring things to be illegal, there's nothing to stop them from saying that, let's say, an AR-15 or a Barrett-50 or any of those guns are illegal machine guns. This is definitely something that we need to contact our representatives about because the ATF cannot be allowed to just get away with this overreach. And like I said, today it could be forced reset triggers. Tomorrow it could be anything that they don't want you to have. Definitely take action. Chris, do you have anything to add to it? Have you been following this fiasco? I've seen just a few things pop up on it, but it's, um, I agree with what you're saying about it. It's, uh, <laughs> these things are not laws that are being passed. They're just regulations that can change very rapidly, and that's scary. Mm-hmm. And we all, we all recognize that together on these things. That product is not for everyone. You know, maybe you're not interested in it, but I don't know. I feel like this is an old song for me, but like we need to really protect all of these things, even if it's not your particular interest right now. Yeah, exactly. The reasons you said. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of people, too, that are just like, oh, well, I don't care about AR-15s. I mean, I think we should only have shotguns and, you know, hunting rifles. And, like, I don't care what you think we should have. It's still overreach. And, you know, hey, maybe they come after ARs today. Maybe tomorrow they come after your stupid shotguns, your hunting rifles, or anything that you think is okay. That's why it's extremely important that we all just kind of band together and take action because, you know, again, like you said, you may not care about the product or have a reason to have it, but it's just overreach. So we have to stop it while we can. Moving forward, Manicore Arms. I mentioned the Masada pistol from IWI. If you guys have that, if you have that gun, definitely check out the upgraded guide rod that Manicore Arms makes for it. It's a stainless guide rod and captured spring to replace the plastic factory spring assembly. It also has an 18-pound flat spring to reduce felt recoil and muzzle flip. It's a drop-in replacement, literally takes seconds to install, and it's only $26.95, but you're not going to pay that price because you'll use the code AVAROCKS15, all one word, and that's going to get you 15% off, and that is at manicorearms.com. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Today's Q&A is, Ava, I'm sorry about your dog. As hard as it might be, I think you should consider adopting another dog. Have you considered it? Chris, do you own any dogs? I don't. I had one the last few years, and 
when I lost him. I just don't know if I can do it again. <laughs> so it's I know. Like, I'm not at the moment now. And this was a few years ago. No. Yeah, it was a drummer short-haired pointer named Seamus. What a good Aww. dog. I know. Yeah. I keep going back and forth because so I live alone and I'm just like, I never, everybody always asks me, you know, like, oh, living alone, doesn't it get lonely? And I actually never really felt really that lonely. I mean, sometimes I wish I had a family because I'm very much like a family person and I grew up with, you know, lots of family and it was always really nice. And so sometimes I kind of wish that, but it never really felt very lonely. But now that Tickles is no longer with me, it's like, man, the house just seems so empty. And it's hard to like to, you know, when I go up the stairs to not see her at the top of the stairs or when I'm sleeping because she'd always sleep in bed with me. Like I still am like cautious when I roll over because I think I'm going to roll over on her because she's only four pounds. And it's hard to like kind of get used to that or to not have her greet me at the door, you know, and it's like it is it's been really hard. You know, I've been trying to stay busy and like, you know, have a smile on social media and stuff like that. But it's definitely been something really difficult losing her. And a part of me, like I've always thought like, man, if I lose tickles, like after that, I'm not going to get another dog. But then you start thinking there's so many other dogs out there that need a good home. And I'd like to think that I gave Tickles a good home. I mean, she was pretty spoiled. Then you think like, well, maybe I will adopt one. And then what would I adopt? And then I also felt really bad because Tickles has a babysitter. So as much as I travel, it was really nice that she had this babysitter who's only eight years old. And I felt so bad telling the babysitter when Tickles passed away because I was like, she's going to be just as upset as I am. And then I guess a week later, her guinea pig passed away. And so then she was like really upset. So I text her and I was like, hey, I'm really sorry about your guinea pig. Maybe when I'm ready, we can go shopping for another dog together. That way, you know, we can make sure that we both like her. And I'm already assuming that I'm going to get like a girl dog. And she's like, yeah, I would really like that. And she's like, let me ask my mom when we can go, <laughs> which is pretty cute. And I was like, oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa I'm not yeah. ready. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't know. It is nice to have a dog around, but I don't know. I just, I still keep going back. I don't think at the moment I'm ready for it, but maybe eventually I will. And then the question I is, is like, for a while. And the reason I can't, the reason I can't is just so like much work again. It's like having a child again. I but know. That's selfish, I know, but no, but that's, I also was uh, thinking about that. I'm like, here, I'm having this brand new house built, everything is brand new. And I'm like, if this dog oh, yeah. is not potty trained by the time I move <laughs> into this house, like it might have to go. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a lot yeah. of work. And and then my dad actually I, texted me this morning, which I don't talk to him that often, but out of the blue, he texted me this morning. And so I told him, I was like, I don't know if you've heard, but like Tickles passed away. And he's like, yeah, I heard, which I was like, cool. Thanks for texting me when you heard about it. But he's like, yeah, maybe you could just go to the pet store, get a new one and like train her, you know, to be like Tickles. And I'm like, yeah, it's that easy. Let's just, you know, like replace like here, Tickles 2.0, which kind of annoyed me. But it's not that easy to train your dog. <laughs> like it took so long. Like, I don't know if people know this, but I was the one person at PetSmart that took the stupid doggy classes. And Tickles was the one dog that failed. They would not give me the certificate. They were like, oh, sorry. You know, your dog doesn't really listen to it still jumps up on you. And I'm like. I don't care if it's jumping. It's four pounds. I just need her to like pee on the pee pad. Like, how do we do that? <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, um, I know it is. 
it is. Or maybe it's just time to have a kid get knocked up, find a sperm donor or something, oh. you know? <laughs> no, that's even I mean, worse. What a... What podcast have I wandered into right now? Yeah. This is gun funny. I don't know. <laughs> right? What's happening? I know. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no, I don't think I would do that. <laughs> but I do think actually having kids, I think what terrifies me... Do you have any kids? I have three, yeah. Okay, so I think what terrifies me is not necessarily having kids, but having to be stuck with that person for... You're not even talking 18 years. I mean, you are so... Okay, you get divorced, whatever... But you are talking about being there, seeing that person when your child graduates, when they graduate college, when they get married, any monumental thing that happens in that child's life, you're going to have to see your ex. And I don't know. I mean, I know some people that have, you know, gotten divorced and they've remained civil and they get along and stuff, which is nice. But like for the most part, you don't see that that often. And that's what terrifies me is that I have to be stuck with this person it's not having a kid. It's just that I have to be stuck with this person in my life. And as many divorces as we see nowadays, I'm like, uh, it's, I mean, I was very lucky to grow up and have parents that were happily married. My parents were married for 32 years and they never fought and they were always happily married. And, you know, and I didn't realize at the time how fortunate I was, but it's not that common. If I could just go to a sperm bank and pick out exactly what I want, then maybe it would be a different story. <laughs> Okay, well, moving forward, because I, I sense no Chris, is, Chris is really uncomfortable right now. So we're going to move forward and we are going to yeah. talk about the new Desert Tech Quattro 15. Tactic Talk, discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. Desert Tech introduced a new AR lowered signed at Shasha, which don't you wish that they put out something that told you exactly like who was coming out with what so that you could design like, oh, okay, well, I definitely want to see this. And sometimes they do, but not every company gives you a heads up because I kind of wish I would have saw this because I've only seen it now on the computer. But Desert Tech introduced a new AR lower at Shot that's pretty thick. T-H-I-C-C. The Quattro 15 is designed to accept Desert Tech's proprietary Quad Mag 53, which is basically a four-stack AR mag. I like this because, you know, when you... Yeah, so at first I was like trying to wrap my head around it. So it's literally like they took four AR mags and basically taped them together, hence the word thick. And what's <laughs> cool is like, other than the magwell, everything else about it is compatible with standard AR parts. Essentially, you get a new lower and your AR could take the new quad mag, which holds 53 rounds in a shorter length than a standard 30 round P mag. Well, actually, I didn't realize it's actually shorter than a 30 round mag. The lower is a quad stack all the way up, not tapered. So the magwell is obviously thicker. However, they also include an adapter so that you can use standard mags in the lower if you want that as well. The receiver, while it's also, you know, well, I said it's thick, also looks pretty nice and has ambidextrous controls. MSRP on the stripped receiver is going to be $299, which really isn't bad. The quad mags, however, are $74.99, which is pretty high for mags, but I don't know. I still don't think that that's bad either. You've got to take the price per round at all, so. That's <laughs> right. True. Yeah. Dollar cost, dollar cost average it, I guess. Yeah. I just true. want to know if it's reliable. This is a modernization of a Soviet design. They had a quad stack mag or quad or yeah, 
had a quad stack mag years ago for the AK-74. It's interesting if it works. Yeah, I know. So that's what I was thinking because there has been previous quad stack mags and they've had issues. I don't know. And then and then I'm like, Desert Tech, I don't know. I don't really have much experience. I did shoot the, gosh, what was that gun that took forever that they kept saying was in the works and and it just became like the unicorn gun that they finally released like years later, but it took forever. This was years ago. I forget what it was called, but I had the opportunity to shoot that. But other than that, I don't really have any experience with Desert Tech as far as like, you know, their products and reliability goes. But if this works, it is pretty cool. I also I would love to see the internals because I'm like, okay, if it's not tapered at the top, how does it feed? I'm looking at now on their website, there is a translucent mag uh-huh. and it's showing it next to like a regular 30 round P mag. They do taper up to, it tapers from four to a double stack. Okay. Which I think that's the way the original Soviet one did. So it still presents to the bottom of the bolt carrier as a double stack, double feed, you know, feeds from each side magazine, just like a standard. So to the gun itself, the gun doesn't know any difference, but yeah, it's hmm. uh they've got a see-through mag. You can check it out. Interesting. Yeah, and then I got to imagine, like I said, the lower is kind of thick, but then everything else is all compatible with just regular AR parts, which seems kind of cool. So I don't know. I think, you know, I'm always up for innovation and anything that's different. I guess the only question would be is if it's reliable, but if it's reliable, and that's actually pretty cool. Um, I'm familiar with this company just a little bit through their long range rifles, but I don't, again, don't have a ton of experience with them. So, yeah. I wish I could remember what rifle it was that finally came out and it was in the works for like years. And they kept saying like, yeah, it's going to come out in just a few months. And then a few months would go by and they're like, oh, we're still working on it, which is good on them in a way, because it's like you don't want to release something that's just not reliable and then it's just going to ruin your reputation. Well, you know, we were talking before we started the podcast, we were talking about just kind of things that the gun industry is not mature about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were talking about marketing and I said, well, hey, it's kind of like that with manufacturing also and the way we sell things, what we schedule. And that's just another thing, you know, how many vaporware guns have been released that just never come around or come out three years later after you've lost all the marketing steam. That's just a thing that we typically don't do well. There's a couple of people in the industry that are changing that. Like, you know, Ruger is one, Springfield Armory. Like, I mean, they just keep on dropping products and they're like shipping today, Yeah, you know? And I, I mean, I'm glad for them. I'm really happy for them. It's like, that's, that's the way to do it. Like it gets announced and it's like, when is it shipping today? Yeah, You know, so you don't lose that excitement wave of the initial, you know, media push where I'm not going to say anything bad about other companies, but I think we all probably know a couple of companies. It's like, man, you guys always come out with these things and you get all this media and mm-hmm. then it never ships. Like, yeah. There's probably which, like two or three that really come to mind for being notorious for that. Yeah, which defeats the whole purpose. They like, will, why get all like build up all this hype? That's actually so federal. Yeah. Who I'm sponsored by, they're going to be releasing some products, and I'm like, so when are you guys going to release it? And they're like, we need to make sure that we have like millions and millions of rounds ready to go, so that when we release it, it'll be already in stores. And yeah. that I applaud you, them for. You blow all your marketing capital, like all that free buzz like you just blow it if it's not there yeah so totally it's something we're getting better we're getting better at and i, I think there's a few companies like obviously federal is uh is going to be leading the way on that but that's how you do it i mm-hmm. mean that's just that's the way it should be done yeah i completely agree all right walkers
the most essential things that we need to do when we're shooting or operating equipment is protect our ears. Walkers has a ton of different options. For as low as $69.99, they have electronic muffs that provide great noise protection as well as amplifying ambient sounds so that you can still hear conversations, which as a firearms instructor on the range, this is key, especially you know, uh, when I'm talking to my students and if they can hear what I'm saying. They also have versions with built-in radio so that you can communicate with others on a larger range or a job site with heavy equipment. And of course, with Bluetooth, so you can listen to music or take phone calls, although I don't know how well that would work on the range. But let's say you're mowing your lawn or something, you stop it and you could take the phone call. Check all of those out at walkersgameear.com. And remember, like all of the GSM Outdoor brands, Use the code GUNFUNNY20, all one word, and you're going to get 20% off your entire order. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as f- Never mind. AF. Okay, so today's AF segment. This is kind of funny, and I think my editor picked this because it involves a 50 cal. So, a Florida man took his grandson fishing last week in a canal near Miami, and they had a pretty amazing catch. They weren't looking to catch fish, though. Instead, they were using a magnet to go fishing with. The man's grandson had seen a YouTube video and wanted to try it. The grandson dropped a five-pound magnet into the canal, and after finding a few pieces of scrap, he pulled out, eventually, two Barrett 50 BMGs. They were just the lower receiver, so it wasn't the entire gun. Even so, they were around 20 pounds each and had so much mass, the magnet went straight to them. They were wrapped in plastic, which is really weird, but still rusty. When they got home, the grandfather notified the police. Uh, They noticed that the serial numbers had been rubbed off on the receivers and the bolts. And the police said that, yeah, it looked like they'd been out there for a while. What I don't understand, though, is if you're going to dump like a receiver, try to get rid of it. Why would you wrap it up in plastic? (laughs) Like to try to preserve it. I don't know. Like, unless you're going to come back for it later on, but, but isn't that pretty crazy in of all, like of all things that they'd find two Barrett 50 cals. It's Miami though. So that's true. That's true. (laughs) Uh, I I think it was around Miami. I think it was like Miami around a canal or something. Yeah. I bet I have got, I've probably got like a thousand DMs about that over the last three days. Like whenever that story broke, like yeah. everybody, you know, automatically you know, thought of you. Yeah. One well, and the 900th person to send us like, I bet you haven't seen this yet, but you know, like, oh yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That's <laughs> yeah. so funny. So I posted it and, and got so much response on it. It's just like such an unusual story. Yeah, I know. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Why am I not in Florida right now with a five pound magnet? That would I be... didn't know that was a sport. I did not know it was a hobby, <laughs> but it seems like it seems like another level higher of dorkiness yeah. than like metal detecting on the beach. Oh, maybe. totally. Like it's just like a whole it's a whole other level. Like, what are you doing going to magnet fishing? Yeah. So Yeah, like screw also, the fish. I wondered, you know, I wonder what happens to them when if this magnet's that strong. What about like when you find like an entire car bumper that's wedged under all the rock? <laughs> like you just cut your rope. Like yeah. it'd be like, I can't even get this magnet. I can't pull this up. Like, what yeah. do you do? Just cut bait. So now you got a magnet down there too. <laughs> so, I know. I know. That's oh actually a really good point. Cause I'd imagine that there probably is a lot of things that is so heavy that like your magnet isn't going to be able to pull up. Oh, in Miami, there's probably like, you know, a car down there with some people still in it. Yeah. I know. <laughs> like, tie, tied up, tied up, burned, and then shoved into the canal, you know? Yeah. I could just imagine. So there's this lake over by my house and 
It used to be a pretty nice lake. I remember actually going swimming in it when I was like a little. My mom would take my sister and I there. But since then, it's like really run down. And my cousin who recently moved here like in the last like year and a half, two years, and we started taking up paddle boarding because, you know, with COVID, there wasn't much to do. So it was like, all right, what kind of other outdoor activities can we take up? We all bought paddle boards. And she was like, well, what about Memorial Park in Colorado Springs? So if you guys are in Colorado, you know what I'm talking about. And I was like, oh, no, we don't go there. I'm like, first of all, there's probably so many guns that people have thrown into that lake. In fact, I think one year they dried the lake up and they decided to clean it. They found cars in it. They found a ton of guns. I mean, it is just like I don't even bat an eye, like reading the article where, you know, where they list everything that they found. I'm like, yeah, makes perfect sense. I think everyone pretty much knew it. But it was kind of crazy that they found like cars in there and and you kind of just wonder, how did that even happen? I mean, yeah, I guess you know how it happened. They were trying to get rid of it, but still pretty crazy. Now I'm imagining this guy took his kid, his grandson, magnet fishing, and he pulls up like a steering wheel with an arm handcuffed to it. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, 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 uh, this is not this is not the desired outcome. For the, yeah. You know, grandson, the grandson out. Yeah. Like, can only imagine yeah like a skeletonized arm <laughs> <laughs> oh that would be horrible what a fun mm-hmm. all right guys so now it's time to wrap up as far as itunes reviews there's actually no more itunes reviews so if you guys haven't left a review please do so it's really easy if you have an iphone you just go to the itunes app search for gun funny scroll to the bottom and bam you can leave a review and you have an opportunity to win a cool prize if you guys want to support the show, you should consider becoming a Patreon. That's actually, it reminds me. So now that it's February, we have to draw a winner for January to win a $300 gift certificate from Blown Deadline, who, if you aren't aware, he does some amazing Cerakote jobs. If you're a patron, you automatically get entered. And to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com, look for GunFunny, or you could just go to the website, gunfunny.com, and click on the support the show link. Also wanted to thank the $25 Patreons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran, 8888, Sake Holsters, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Sportsman's Guide, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Calamore, and Melissa Ridings. And king of the Patreon is still Jon Snow. All right, Chris, I want to thank you so much for spending your morning with me and everything that you do. It's really inspiring. You guys make some really cool stuff, and I'm really proud of everything that you guys have accomplished. When you see your dad, tell him, you know, I'm a big fan. Can you just remind listeners once again where they can find Barrett on the interwebs and where they can follow you and Barrett on Instagram or social media, any of that good stuff? Yeah. So Barrett on the web is Barrett.net, Barrett.net, not.com. And I'm on Instagram at Chris G. Barrett. That's Chris G. Barrett. And Barrett is um, on Instagram is actually... um, what are we? It's at Barrett Firearms, at Barrett Firearms. So that's where we are on the internet and on the socials. Okay, awesome. There we are. All right, cool. Well, thanks guys so much for listening and I will see you next week. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.